A Cooley and Kevin show coming up here on this Wednesday. It'll be a Cooley defensive film breakdown. I want to start by telling you about Visa and how you should be helping to support your local businesses. Whether they're your corner stores or coffee spots or favorite shops, local businesses have always been on your team supporting you and your community. They remember your order and they call you by name. Always giving back, making a difference, and going that extra mile. But right now, more than ever, local businesses need our support. Support. So let's be there for them. The next time you go shopping, help your team score and choose to shop at local businesses. And while you're there, look for the contactless symbol and tap to pay with a contactless visa to help support your community. Because where and how you shop matters. Visa, everywhere you want to be, official partner of the NFL. You don't want it, you don't need it, but you're going to get it anyway. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Here's Kevin. All right, it's a Wednesday. Cooley's here. We're going to do the defensive film breakdown. We're going to get to that in a moment. Um, I just I just want to ask you real quickly, because I know a lot of people are talking about the, the debates last night, uh, the debate last night. Um, did you watch? What did you think? Uh, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. I know Tommy said some things yesterday in the podcast that fired some of you up. Um, but uh, anyway, um, I I did watch it. I watched every last second of it. And I stayed up and watched all of the postgame um, uh, afterwards on every network. What did you think of it? Did you see the whole thing or not? So I saw the second half of it. We got went and had a couple things to do and got grabbed some dinner and I came back and I watched the second half. I, I planned on watching the entire debate plan on going back and watching the entire debate, but I watched the second half for the last 25, 30 minutes ish, maybe 45 minutes. And then I, I just I decided there was no way I could swallow going back and watching any more of what I had already watched. I thought it was like, the worst two old men talking over each other in a radio show I've, I've ever seen in my life. And it was, um, it was hard to swallow, man. I, and it's funny because I'm in Trump land and you're out and about throughout the day. And people here are like, Trump's going to be great in this debate tonight. And Biden, he, I mean, he's not even going to make it out to the stand. Well, Biden made it and it was not great. I, I just, I hated every second of it. And the mediator, who was the mediator? Chris, Chris Wallace, uh, moderator. Yeah, Chris Wallace, who I like a lot. I think Chris I thought was... he tried his best to keep everyone on track. And it it, it just seemed to me at, at times like he seems like a smart, older gentleman. And it, it, even he had to just almost chuckle like, are, are we? am I even doing this right now? What is happening right here? It, it seems so petty and so ridiculous and so glib at times. And... It, to parse through it was hard for me. Yeah, the Chris. I didn't like it. Yeah, the Chris Wallace thing is really interesting because I think you know even Democrats um, would say that Chris Wallace is fair and is a good interviewer and is not afraid to ask the tough questions even of the president. Um, I I personally think I I mean I like him. I think he's a pro. I think he's also very pragmatic and very fair. Um, he got trampled over last night. Um, he, I don't know what he could have done to Nothing. stop the chaos. I, well, you could silence their mics. You could have stopped it and said, these were your rules to allow two minutes 
um, of 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 response of of answering the question without interruption and unless you can you know restrain yourself mr president we can't continue um because this isn't you know this isn't helping anybody this isn't informative um this isn't even a debate at this point um i don't know what he could have done but it, it wasn't i think he could have done more and when i say that like i should have a solution right well you know the next one, if there is a next one, and there are two others scheduled, plus the uh, the vice presidential deb- debate between Pence and Harris, y- you have to be able to s- stop it and maybe silence his mic and just say, we are going to silence your mic every single time you interrupt um, You know, the Biden speaking. And we'll do the same thing to Joe, because one of the things that became very clear last night, well, it's it didn't become clear last night. He's a child. He has the maturity level of, you know, a 12-year-old. Um, it, it's really not, you know, a new, it wasn't revealed last night. We've seen this on display for nearly four years now. You know, that combined with, you know, limited vocabulary, you know, an eighth, ninth grade, ninth grade vocabulary, maybe. Um, and to me, a limited ability uh, to, to think quickly. All of that, along with textbook narcissism, all of it comes together and forms a, a, a very unappealing person. Put politics aside. Put whether or not you know you believe in his policies, you think he's accomplished a lot. There are legitimate debates to be had about what's been accomplished foreign policy-wise, what's been accomplished in terms of the economy. But just focus in on the person. He's a 12-year-old. He is a 12-year-old that throws tantrums. He is a 12-year-old that's utterly uncoachable and unpunishable and doesn't follow the rules. These were the Republican rules for this debate last night, and it devolved into basically one person at about a 6-to-1 ratio interrupting the other person in a very, I think, childish way. And as, as a voter, which... You know, for voters that are are right now undecided, Tommy thinks you're an idiot if you're undecided, but that's his opinion. I disagree with that. But if you are undecided, you couldn't have gotten anything out of that other than, wow, like he's... We saw this in the early days of the press conferences during the pandemic where it was sort of entertaining for a while because it was such a train wreck, but then it got to the point where... Am I getting any real information? Like, what what am I getting? He's such a bad communicator. Anyway, yeah. um, personally, it was, you know, for me as, as a, an American citizen, as part of the electorate, I think the country was embarrassed last night. And I'm, I, I'm very, very hesitant to be that hysterical CNN, MSNBC, oh my God, the world's coming to an end person. But last night was, I mean... People around the world watching this were laughing um, at us. Uh, not that I give a shit about that, but he really is the the maturity level of I don't know twelve, thirteen, maybe max. That's a big problem when he is also our president. And Joe Biden, by the way, the expectation bar was basically if he could stand upright for an hour and a half and not give any indication that he's got early onset of dementia, which a lot of people believe that he has, um, that it would be a huge win. And so the expectation bar was so low, I think he cleared it easily. 
Uh, and I thought Trump did a bad job with his tantrums and his, his interrupting. I think maybe he interrupted so many times that Joe was able to gather himself with the interruptions. Like he may have been headed towards a big fumble at the goal line, but Trump basically prevented it from happening. Uh, because he, he had 13 know. personal fouls, so he just kept moving the chains with penalties. <laughs> there were there were a lot of late hits. There were a lot of personal just, fouls. Oh, yeah, over and over. You can't you can't do that. You can't you can't hit him on the sideline, pal. Yeah, that's um, that's targeting. Um, but we don't throw you out. But maybe we should on the next one. Anyway, whatever. Well, I mean, I'm with you. Like, just put politics aside and whatever anyone believes aside, and just look at the way he acts. And that's been my biggest thing throughout all of this is it doesn't matter what you believe. I, I want someone that can lead people yeah. to some extent. Of course. Of course. And his leadership skills and his ability to communicate is, is absolutely zero. And I think so many people have said this and we've, we've had this talk. It's just, just read what's on the prompter. Now you can't do that in the debate. I understand that, but just sit there and let Joe talk. Uh, and they are going to have to silence the mic. It, I, I, if they don't, I'm going to watch seven minutes of the next one quit. I'm going to turn it off. I'll tell you this. The ratings for last night were probably astronomical. And, you know, it had one other quick point, Cooley, and you didn't watch the beginning of it. It had the feeling at the beginning of it of like a big time heavyweight championship bout. Like the anticipation of it was really, um, it, it was so, it was, there was a feeling that was so tangible. Like it was like, oh my God, this, this is it. We've been waiting months to see this. And it was like two, you know, heavyweights entering the ring. And then it just, I don't know how they do another one. Anyway, enough on that. Everybody's got their and own one, view. One thing I would say though, just as an, as an aside, and in, in, in part, why you want Trump to just be able to actually have the debate. To Tommy's point, I, you're not an idiot if you're, if you're undecided. And the, the reason I say this is because I think that there are so many people 40 and under that are almost bipartisan, that, that share beliefs of both the parties. And when you're looking at maybe you lean Republican a little bit as a 34-year-old, but, but you're not exactly sure, you are undecided, and especially when you watch him act like that. I think a lot of younger people are middle of the pack more so than they are completely left or right. And so they, they need to actually hear you debate the issues. That's interesting. I, I didn't think about that. I think that the younger vote and 34 may be on the high side of the younger vote, um, but that the younger vote is going to determine this election in so many ways. If they come out and vote, I think Biden wins. If they don't, I think it's another you know, very, very tight, close election. Um, because I, I, I believe that young people overwhelmingly want, want change. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I look at these electoral maps and the predictions every day. And I think like you picked up on in 2016, uh, it was, it was a great observation. And you said this before the election and then the night before the day of the election, you said there are a lot of people that won't admit that they're going to vote for Trump. And you were right in 2016, and you predicted a Trump victory. You did. Um, and I think there's a lot to, to, uh, that, that's going to happen with respect to that in this election as well, maybe even more so. Um, but I also think more people on the other side are going to come out and vote. Remember in 2016, there was this already, um, there, there was this feeling that, that, that Hillary couldn't lose. And so a lot of people decided not to come out and vote. I don't know that they make the same mistake twice. 
Anyway, let's get to your film breakdown. We're going in-depth, play-by-play. The Cooley Film Breakdown. Here's Cooley and Kevin. Kevin, defensive film breakdown Wednesday. You fired up? Very much so. Because I, I, I'm I'm curious as to what you thought overall of a defense that for the second week in a row did give up 30-plus points, but it wasn't all their fault, I'm guessing. Go ahead. Yeah, well, we're going to get to it. I had some things football-related that relates to this defense as it is that I wanted to talk about. One, this is kind of a self-loathing. I got up. I watched the film for the second time today because I just wanted to make sure. I woke up early. I, I got up at like three and I just, I put it on and I just watched it. And I've came to this conclusion. And I think anybody that's listened to me maybe understands this, has thought this. And if you don't, when I say it, you'll probably realize it. I like watching offense way more than I like watching. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, like offense is to me so structured it's so easy to grade because I know everyone's responsibility. It doesn't matter what team you're on. There are certain things that you could question week in and week out, but there aren't that many things. And most of it, it's coached the same way across the league. Defensively, there are so many in-play adjustments. There are so many. We're going to talk about angles to the ball. We're going to talk about, you know, calls the secondary makes to formation checks to change coverage things that you don't always get there's so many arbitrary things that come up with defense and it's just it's i don't know it's interesting i think you can get a real feel for defenses i think you can get a real feel for defensive coordinators I think watching our defense through three weeks, I can see our defense grow. I'm not suggesting that I feel uncomfortable grading our defense because I feel very comfortable with my grades. I just don't think it's as enjoyable. Right. It, that That's my self-loathe feeling on defense. Well, I mean, your perspective is from an, uh, the perspective of, an, of a player who played offense in the NFL, and you understand that better. Too. But it's just – there are rules on defense and there are gap rules and gap fits and there, but at the same time, it's just so much of defense has to do with getting the ball carrier on the ground or making a play where offensively, it's just so structured. Right. (laughs) Defensively, every single person can make that play. Offensively, a guard could have a job of getting a great initial double team push and climbing up to the second level, and it could be an impactful block to make a three-yard gain. He's not making the play. He's just aiding in three yards. Defensively, it's like everybody could make the play on every play. And also defensively, a ball away from you, there's no play to be made. There's no grade to be had. Like it's, it's really interesting because you go through – I figured something out with PFF – and you go through all the PFF grades because I look at them, to, and we've talked about this. It's a good stat collection on PFF, and I can see the grades on my iPad, and I can see the grades on my film. And look at them, and I've decided when you ever look at PFF, if the ball was thrown away from you and you had no impact on the play, it's just it's a 60 out of 100. Right. It's, you have to make plays to get good grades on PFF. 
Ronald Darby could have excellent coverage down the field. The quarterback never looked in his direction. He could have done a heck of a job flipping his hips and running with the receiver. He could have driven on a break, but the quarterback didn't look that way. And in the end, we're giving him a 60. It's not a 60. Right. There's just, but it's almost like there is more of a curve on defense. A corner who gets three balls thrown at him in a, in a week and doesn't have a lot to do, that's a good grade. Someone was scared of him. So I think that's interesting. The other thing that I thought was interesting, the way and after the game, and, and Ron talked about blocking out noise, and, and Ron said he's our guy, and they clearly hear noise, and they clearly feel it. But then you know, on Monday, Ron says, well, you know, there could be a point. And I told you he watched the film. Right. He saw the film and he saw some issues that are coming up. The but on point. the flip side of that, I think he watched a film of his defense. And I'm not suggesting that this defense was awesome throughout the entire game, but I think he saw his defense becoming more consistent. Hmm. And I think he sees a defensive line that could have real pressure and that could have real rushes. And I also think he see, sees a defense that wears down later in games because there, there's a lot of pressure on a defense. I, I think that watching this film – may have bumped that line of Dwayne by two weeks. Ooh. So uh, now it's keep in mind it I don't know where the line was. The line could have been sixteen games and that could have went down two weeks. I, I think Oh, you're saying from sixteen to fourteen, but Yeah, but I think you look at the division and you're you're sitting there saying like we're probably not a Super Bowl team, but I gotta find a if I can win this division, then I, I'm gonna go out and find a way to win this division. And my defense might be good enough. So if my quarterback doesn't come along very quickly here in the next few weeks, there may be a change. I don't think it will be any time in the next three weeks. But I do think as he looks at it, he's going to want to see real growth from his quarterback in the next three weeks. Because I think he thinks he has talent on defense and he's in this division. Yeah, what you, what you didn't add to that thought is what he said to J.P. Finley on Monday in the NBC Sports Washington interview that he does and I guess is scheduled to do every Monday with with their their partner and that is that essentially he woke up and realized they're in first place at one and two and that you know he the uh the quote I wrote it down JP said something about the bye week and you know uh, you could get to the bye week and he said look I don't want to get to the bye week and realize it's too late to, to compete. He said, we might be in position. He, 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 he said, we're in first place. This was, this is all also in the context of a Dwayne conversation. Um, at the same time, like his mindset through three games is we don't care about winning the game. We're not going to try to win the game. It's not important to us. This is, we're in the long game here. This is a long game. All right. And now I think he woke up at, to your point, he watched the film. He looked at the standings and he said, Hmm, I think we're good enough defensively. And we're in this division. We seven, eight and one is what they went in 2014. And they won the division and they won a playoff game that year in the, in the NFC South. We could get to that point. I, you know what? I want them to try to win games. You can do both. You can be in this long-term environment of developing and and building a new culture and changing a culture and all that. But part of that should be when you get to 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 Wednesday in preparation for the game on Sunday that you're trying to win the game. 
That should be part of the process. And if you're trying to win the game, and if that is a priority rather than not trying to win the game, then you'll find out whether or not you're good enough to compete for something this year. I I don't know why it would be a bad thing in the process of developing uh, in a long game environment if they went 7-9 and and won the division. The Cowboys implode every year. They they are the massive underachiever in the division. They have the most talent. They should win the division coolly. But would it shock you if they went eight and eight and underachieved? Yeah, it would shock me if Dallas went eight and eight. It would. It wouldn't shock. I think that they're going to win more than eight games. I think they are too. But what I'm saying is, given their massive underachieving as a franchise during the Jerry Jones era over the last you know 20 plus years, if they went eight and eight and they underachieved based on their talent, it wouldn't be a shock. I think I would. It would a shock maybe. Maybe it wouldn't be a shot. I would be surprised if they didn't win nine or ten games, even where they're at at one and two. They've played too many winnable games. They're going to play us twice. They're going to play in the Giants twice. They're going to play in the Eagles twice who are not good. Like There are too many winnable games on that schedule for them not to win ten games. If they go 12 and four, it's not going to surprise me. I'm just saying that they're not, no, it's not, gonna surprise they're, me they're not a franchise that you can rely on. No, you can't. That's That's the one thing that we, we need to be clear with here is they are not a franchise you can rely on. That, that, that I'm sure of. Um, the thing that scares you is if you see anything in Dwayne Haskins right now for the future, benching him is the worst thing you can do. Agreed. He's, I mean, essentially, you bench him and you're moving on next year. I think so. So if you see anything that you love in him in practice and his leadership and the week and – if you see growth throughout the week too, that transitions to the game the way you'd like it to, even enough that you say that there is something, it's hard to bench a guy because Ron is playing for next year essentially. The, the other part I mean, of nobody really playing for next year, but come on. The other part of what you just said though about um, benching Dwayne. It would be one thing had they brought in Cam Newton over the summer and said, Dwayne, you're going to sit behind Cam Newton. Yeah, and, and you know, for two years, and then you're going to be ready to go. If you bench Dwayne Haskins, you're benching him for Kyle Allen. You're benching him for a backup quarterback in this league, who they have determined gives you a better chance of winning games because they've now decided that the division with this defense is winnable, and we. And so that's why I think you're right. I think if they bench him, they've they've made the decision to move on from him that he's not going to be here. He's not backing up Kyle Allen the rest of the year and next year. No. No, if you bench him for Kyle Allen, I think you, you you trade, you make a trade if I mean for whatever you can get and you move on and you draft somebody. Cuz I'm not in love with Kyle Allen. Right. Like you and I both still want to see Dwayne. That's the one thing. I do. I've been critical of his first 3 games. I think very rightly so, but in being critical, I'm not suggesting that he can't play. What I'm saying is he played poorly in three games. I know what you're. So, I know what you're saying. But and, people don't understand what I'm saying because they want to put words well, in your who mouth. Who and cares what they lot. think? I, I mean, I don't care what I, I don't care what they think. I really don't. But I, I guess I do by, by saying my suggestion. I, just believe me. I want to see more Dwayne Haskins. 
That's where I'm at. I do want to see more. If I'm Duran, I'm going to see more Dwayne Haskins right now. I also don't have an alternative that I think is dynamically better, me personally. Just on the on the bigger, you know, can they compete this year? You know, is there a season to be had? And maybe Ron woke up Monday morning, watched the tape, um, looked at the standings and said, hey, we can go have ourselves a season and be in contention in this division. We're good enough defensively. Um, I just think overall, like my gut feel after three games, is th- this team's just so much better than last year's team already. They're so much more capable. Now, losing Ioannidis is a big deal, but this is where they have depth. And, you know, Tim Settle, Payne, Allen as the rotation should be good. Um, and, you know, I, I don't know if Chase Young's going to miss any games. As of now, as we're recording this, there's still no new information on his injury. But what I'm saying here is, like, I, I actually believe that it's possible – that Dwayne could be a part of them competing. There have been moments, and if he can improve and if he can learn from why he threw three interceptions and fumbled once on Sunday, there is some ability to move the football. I mean, they they haven't been inept in any phase of the game. He has not. He's had a lot more bad than good. We understand that. You know, to the point where we've had poor grades. But there have been moments where if those moments could become the majority instead of the minority, and then you combine that with a defense, I see a team capable of winning seven games this year. And if they win seven, at least maybe we can go, you know, have ourselves a December at least where there's, you know, an outside chance. But I don't think there's any downside to trying to win, even as you're changing a culture and playing the long game in terms of development. I just don't see I, – I, I guess I'm still hung up on just the admission that, you know, both in words and actions, that we're not trying to win the game in Arizona or Cleveland. We, we threw in the white towel. And just to add one other thing, because I talked about it this morning on the radio show, Cooley, there's going to come a point, especially if the rest of the division continues to flounder, where he's going to start to lose some people, coaches and players, by throwing in the white towel, I, I, by conceding and tapping out. I, I think that we saw the last tap out of the year. I think one of the, the, the things that he recognized, even though he's being stubborn on this, is we may be able to compete for something here. So maybe Sunday in Baltimore, if it's 23-14 to 14 with you know two and a half minutes to go and they've got a third and eight, maybe we'll call a timeout. There just should have never been a tap out. We, we talked about the Arizona game. You might have been done that game. You weren't done in Cleveland. You had time. You, you, were, you were down 11. You were going to go down 14. You had potentially three and a half minutes to score twice. Now, you got to get an onside kick, but my God, people get those. So I, I don't think you see another timeout. It's just, I, I, two, two weeks in a row, you got, you got the Ravens and the Rams and, they're not easy games. It's almost like you got to find a way to win one of those two games to to really be close to staying alive. I, Dallas is going to start winning games. You know what? And, and you're not a wild card team. No, no, I, I would probably agree with that. But you know, I, I mentioned this this morning as well. Baltimore and Los Angeles, two games in which they'll be double digit underdogs, and they are this weekend. And LA will come in here as a nine, ten, eleven point favorite as well. You know, it happens all the time in the NFL. A big double-digit underdog wins a game. Happens all the time. It can happen. If they were to win one of these next two games and be two and three with the Giants on tap and two of the next three, the whole 
the whole outlook, the whole philosophy should change, and I think it will change. If it hasn't changed already, I'm not predicting a win over Baltimore or Los Angeles. I'm just saying in the NFL it happens, and I think this team's much more capable of pulling one of those off than last year's team was by by a lot. And if it were to happen, imagine you're two and three coming off a win over the Rams. There would be a whole different you know approach to the rest of the season. And by the way, if that happens, I hope Dwayne is a big contributor to that. Because I don't see an end game going with Smith, going with Allen, or you know even Alex Smith. I, I just don't see that as a long term play. I'd rather it happen with Dwayne. Anyway, let's get to your defensive film breakdown. <laughs> All right, buddy. So some overall thoughts on the defense before we get to the players. One, I saw a team that varied some more zone coverages and played more comfortable in the back end than uh, either of the last couple weeks. So I saw a team that's getting better in the back end in some of the zones, which is exactly what you want to see. To me, they're starting to operate, especially underneath, much more on a string. Like when you play in some of those underneath coverages, you like levels in your coverage. You like the, the three deep to be over the top. You like your next four underneath to be on a string within two or three yards of each other, and then react to everything up. They were better with some of the run action pass, not overreacting to that stuff. They were better in some of the third down looks. We'll get to a couple that they weren't. But to me, I I saw defense that was more multiple and to me operated better than they had in the the first couple weeks. I I think Kendall Fuller changes things quite a bit. To me, he played well. He played outside, and Jimmy ended up playing inside. Jimmy didn't play hardly at all after the first two weeks playing almost every snap. I think Jimmy only played like 15 snaps and didn't play well in this game either. I don't like Jimmy that much inside and I don't like him in zone coverage right now, but outside he was okay. Fuller changes some of the things they can do outside and they played some quarters looks. They played some cover two looks. They varied their defense a little bit. They also did a better job passing things off down the field with Fuller and Apke and didn't get beat over the top. You know, you look at this game and I, I said one of the biggest things is going to be slowing the Brown the Browns down on first down. They did. Yeah. I mean they 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 did. They got gashed in the run late in the game. Well, now to me that front really started to get worn down. And also keep in mind they had two players not playing through the last three quarters of that game or two and a half quarters of that game. So you got guys on the field a little bit more than they're used to. But they limited the Browns. They did not give up the big play. They did a pretty good job stopping the run throughout the first three quarters of that ball game. And it was a defense that gave him a chance to win a, win a game. Um, look, I, I think that when I look at them, they're a team that blitzes better than I've seen Washington blitz in, in a long time. And I got to credit Ron or Del Rio because this is three or four weeks in a row where you're getting unblocked players to the quarterback. They, they did it again this week. They're good at empty sets, too. They must have a feel for where the line's going to slide to some of the empty set looks, and they like to really check into blitzes in those looks. But the, the sweat tackle or the sweat pressure on the grounding, that, that's, a, that's a free run. Right. They end up bringing KPL, and the tackle's got to come down and, and take the most dangerous there, and sweat's free. He's turned free. I, I love that. So it's, it's a four-man pressure. So it's it's a zone blitz where you're bringing a backer, but you're dropping an end, and they dropped Ryan Kerrigan there. 
those are good. Those are good pressures. They, so some good coverage in the back end and some good pressures. They're starting to put some things together. Um, couple of things. I, I mean, we talked about this one third and 11. The, I think the critical play on defense where the game really changed up 20 to 17. I, I, I'm bragging about the pressures and they bring a five man pressure on a third and 11. They try to get everyone to the right side of the center on the left side. They drop Bostic and Kerrigan and there's a hole in the middle of the field. And Odell Beckham makes a catch. Now one, I just wanted to make mention that I was critical of the pick thrown to Inman on the, the last pick in the middle of the field on a little sit route. Yeah. The stick, the sticks route. This is the same exact concept. And I was like, well, Inman should watch the Odell route because I blamed Kerrigan a little bit on Monday and it's not good with Kerrigan dropping in coverage. But if you go back and watch that third and 11, Bostic shits his pants running to the middle of the field, trying to chase Odell on a crosser. And then Odell sits it down. Bostic can't cover in the middle of the field. So while I'm bragging about some of these blitzes, the two guys I'm not dropping into the hole and the hook in the middle of the field are Ryan Kerrigan and Bostic. Right. (laughs) That one I'm not doing. So I do think that they're growing. I think that they're learning their players. I think that they're getting better in some of these looks. And I think it's a defense that in rhythm and in flow of a game can be consistent through four quarters. My last thought was they got gashed on the last two series. Right. And it was all counter run. It was all gap scheme, Bill Callahan, counter run. They got out of place. They got pinned up front. The backers were slow. They missed tackles. And they were gashed late in the game. And, it, and it's to me, it's like you, you can't have 34 minutes time of possession against you every week. You can't have 80 plays run. You can't have 70 plays run. You, you got to get your defense off the field or you got to keep your defense off the field to some extent as an offense. And that's one of the things that you're going to struggle with, with as a defense. Now that said, you got to get up to field in third downs, but they haven't been as bad as they have in the past. I don't know. Overall, I am impressed with the growth. Is I guess what I'm saying of this defense. I'm intrigued by what this defense could be, but I'm impressed with their growth, and I think they've been well coached. I would say that. Yeah, I, I think that I think that's been obvious um, so far. Not relative to what they've been uh, is is the part that's obvious. But you're you're taking it to a slightly different level and just saying you know compared to other good defenses, this one's well coached, right? Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. One hundred percent right. Now I do have, a, you know, I another thought I had in this game. Chase Young is what changes this defense as much as anything. I thought Montez Sweat played well at times, but Chase Young is what changes this defense. And as much as we love Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, and Matt Ioannidis, and our front, they're better than just guys. You know, they're not just guys. They can make plays. But they don't make as many plays as you'd like some of these guys, as we give them credit for. Is that fair? Yeah. They're consistent, but they don't make as many plays as we give them credit for. Now, maybe they evolve as they get into this four down and they continue to get better and grow as well. But without Chase Young, it's it's a little bit different. All right, let's start up front. Jonathan Allen. So there are times when Allen can be awesome. Yeah. It, 
there's a third down sack that he had. It's a stunt. He's coming back inside. He yanks the offensive tackle to the ground. He's finishing on the quarterback. It's like that's what I think of when I see Jonathan Allen. It's a phenomenal job. It's athleticism, it's speed, it's well-executed technique on a stunt, and it's finish. I love that. There's a couple bull rushes early in this game where it, it's an ass whooping. <laughs> it's awesome. One-on-one bull rush, you have leverage, you're playing hat under a hat, and you're taking that guard and you're walking him back into the quarterback. That's what I think of when I see Jonathan Allen. And I get that a lot. In the run game, I thought Jonathan showed up a lot. I thought he played hard. I, th- I thought in the run game, played through blocks on the backside, came down and made some tackles. You know, the thing with John is you also see the flip side every once in a while where you start to get caught up in the wash and then he starts to get run a little bit more than you like. And the perfect example is on the first Chubb touchdown run. I mean, he's washed down the line of scrimmage, wrung out, put flat on his back to dry out. Like, what happened here, John? Right. So I think if he's not playing upfield, I don't think he can play lateral and try to just hang on. Like, I think he's got to penetrate a little bit to win. He played 50 total plays. He had a sack. He was in on six or seven tackles. When he got off the ball and got up the field, he was impactful. When he was laid off the ball or skated a little bit, he struggled. He got moved. He was a B in this game. Jonathan Allen was a B. God, I thought he was going to be higher than that. I thought it was a really good game from him, but but I, I, I defer to you. I thought he swallowed some people whole in the run game. He did. There were some big plays he made in the run game. There, there were. Um, and B's not a bad grade. No. Nope. Played 50, pro, 50 total plays. Not an A. Deron Payne. So it, there's a couple plays where you, you watch Deron play. He's the least consistent of the three, in my opinion. But there's a, there's a couple plays. There's a play he plays through a cut block, stuffs the dude's head right in the fucking dirt, goes and makes a play in the backfield on the other line, on the opposite side of the line of scrimmage. Like, he has the ability to play on the other side of the line of scrimmage. He has the ability to knock dudes around. He, he can make some impactful plays, and he does in the backfield. He has made one or two plays in the backfield almost every, I think, in every game of this season. Right. He had a couple of good rushes in this game. He had a couple of good bowl pressures. He's just got too many zero impact plays or negative plays, though. And... I wrote down low five times. Really? There's a third and 18 in the third quarter where Baker Mayfield ends up flushing out to the right. And it could have been a sack. And it's, I don't even know if it's a loaf, honestly, Kevin. I just don't think he had the burst at that point or the energy to go get him, to really go get him. Baker flushed right to him. He's kind of hanging on there on the left side defensively of the line of scrimmage. And you're like, you don't know they're going to force him to you, but as he starts to go, if he, it was, there was a second of hesitation. Do I stop and hang out here for a second or do I just finish this? And he stopped for a second. He also, when he gets doubled in pass rush, now again, maybe, maybe you get doubled and you become the spy guy or you become the jump guy. 
but there's some stop to it when he gets doubled. Like there's some, okay, you guys got me, which I'm not saying that a doubled defensive lineman and some of the play action pass or some of the third down stuff that a doubled guy is going to be the guy that ultimately wins, but he's really the only guy that's got some stop to him. John Payne was a C in this game. Hmm. I thought he would be better after watching it. Me too. Uh, in, in real time. Tim Settle. I think Tim Settle is a really nice mix-up player. To, to me, Settle is a guy that comes in and plays really hard. I think he plays well on the other side of the ball. I think he fights through things. I think he's a good tackler. I think he makes some plays. He even plays like, – he gets washed a little bit on a, on a counter play that goes out to the offensive left, the defensive right. Landon Collins misses a tackle, but – Settle keeps fighting through a block all the way down the scrimmage. He ends up making a tackle for like a seven, eight-yard gain. But still, that's a big dude that's not going to quit. I think he blows things up in the backfield. I I thought in this game he had a couple decent rushes. He doesn't play a lot of plays, Settle. He ended up with 26 plays in this game, and I think large in part because Ioannidis went out. But when I watched Settle in this game, I like 97 on film kept flashing. Tim Settle was an A-minus on 26 plays. Wow. Matt Ioannidis. The two notes that I want to start with before I get to some of the real things. I wrote, falling down a ton or pulled down in the first quarter. Four times he was on the ground in the first quarter. And then the next series was a Jonathan Allen sack where Ioannidis ends up doing a hell of a job taking three on the ground. (laughs) Like... What was his deal? It's on the ground all game, up and down, on the ground. Um, God, there's a couple, man. There was a play-action pressure early in the game on a second 10 where he was shot out of a cannon. He's seven yards upfield. He's a spin move on the guard. He ends up getting a little bit of a touch on the quarterback. He doesn't get him to the ground, but it's a good rush. It changes the play. Is he more athletic than people think because people talk about his strength more than anything else, but – when he uh, he's obviously out for the year now, but isn't he a little bit more athletic than I think the perception of him is? Uh, yeah, and I think that perception started at, at, at Temple, where I think he was probably twenty pounds heavier. Mm-hmm. And in his first year here, where he was probably twenty pounds heavier, like Ionitis was slow as a rookie. He was. I remember his rookie year. He was slow. He's not slow. Ionitis got a lot of power. He's got some strength, but he's got a handful of moves. And he's got a good upfield presence. I, 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 I'm disappointed for Matt. I'm disappointed for this team that he went out in this ballgame with the torn bicep. You actually got that news first, I heard. I, I did. Is it a torn bicep or biceps? Um, potato, potato. But I, I don't say potato. I don't think it's a potato, potato thing. I, I'm, biceps? I hear, I, I hear it referred to as he he's got a torn biceps but that would in is there only do you you have more than one bicep so it would be plural you would think he's got torn biceps that means he tore both of his biceps but it's that's that would be pretty uncommon to tear both biceps on one play yeah i've heard or it described as singular torn biceps Anyway, uh, whatever. Not important. What was he, he the great nine, Ioannidis? Yeah, he played nine games. He was a B plus. Nine. He already plays. played nine, nine plays. He didn't play. He didn't play a lot. Right. But 
It was a B plus. Um, Ryan Anderson. Mm-hmm. He can be physical at the point of attack, and he can lose at the point of attack. Like that, this is funny. A couple of the first things. Knock the shit out of a pulling guard on power play. Makes the running back have to squeeze, ends up forcing it inside where he wants to force it, right to help. Good play. Two plays later, same kind of look. Guard comes at him, pins him. It's Batonio comes right at him. And the, it's a bounce play, a counter bounce play. It's like, I just don't know if he has a true sense for what they're trying to do to him. Um, not ever did I see like a burst rush that you'd go like, oh man, big time play. Uh, not often did I see him in terrible position. He's a jag. Second round pick. I don't. I, I hate saying that, but we're we're this far into this career, and without Chase Young getting hurt, he's a ten play a game guy with another staff. He he's not going to hurt you. He's not. He's just not. He's not an impactful guy, and he hasn't been in the first couple games, and he wasn't in this game. He was a C. Don't you think he was super improved last year? Did from, I? Yeah, from the year before. I thought he was really impactful last year. And it, I and thought his first year he really struggled. I thought he was better. I thought he, he should have played more two years ago. I thought he should have played more last year. I think it's hard to find out exactly what you have when you have a guy playing 12 plays a game. But at the same time... Like, Show, showing up makes a difference. Like sh- having that 52 out there, like here he is making plays every once in a while makes a bit of a difference. And I just haven't seen it yet. Is he better as an outside linebacker in a 3-4? I'm not sure what Ryan Anderson is. No, I'm not going to say that he's better. I just I think that it's it, there's a lot of similarities to what he's doing. Okay. Uh, Chase Young. Man, that's – I hope he's Okay. I just we just got an update on him. It just literally hit um, Twitter. I think Ian Rappaport. Uh, and let me read it real quickly. Um, it is Chase Young, uh, Washington Football Team pass rusher Chase Young suffered a moderate groin strain on Sunday. Is expected to be out versus the Ravens. Sources say, and is considered week to week. So there you go. So the Browns had a plan for Chase Young. I saw that early. Yeah. Browns were going to chip with tight ends or they were going to chip with backs. I really only had two rushes on a quarterback where he had an open rush. And one I thought was great. It was a double swat and he kind of starts to turn the corner and the ball's out. And the other one, the ball's out right now. Like once he gets washed big time by two tight ends and he's run down five yards in the line of scrimmage and the rest of it is like he, there was nothing at him or to him. You can see the spark had he played the whole game, I'm sure this would be different, but Chase Young was a C in this game. Okay. 13 plays. Yeah, 13 plays. Um, Brian Kerrigan, C. <laughs> okay. He, he played, played, played the most plays. snaps he's, he's played because Young was out. Yeah. He, he, he played 41 plays. He had the false start penalty late in the game that was <laughs> asinine. Yeah. Like, come on. It's a no snap, no play. 
Like, hey, we're going to go no snap, no play, and we're going to get the most veteran player on this defense to jump off sides. Like, everybody knows that it's no snap, no play. Maybe the coach told him to jump off sides so that they didn't have to put the offense back out. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. I love it. I still love one of my favorite things about Ryan Kerrigan, and you see this at least once in every game. They have a, the Browns are running a little trap play. They end up kicking out Deron Payne with the guard. Ryan Kerrigan's turned free on the edge. Ball's inside. Chubb's one, two yards up the field. Kerrigan's still chasing the quarterback. Like he knows, he knows <laughs> any kind of action where he's free, he's going to go get the quarterback. That's just exactly what he's doing. But he sniffs out a screen pretty well on third and 19. Yeah, yeah. He can, he's got a nose for the screen play. Um, look, I'm not, I'm not suggesting that Ryan was was bad in this game. And there, there were some chances to be good. He had a tackle for loss opportunity right at the end of the first half where he just doesn't get the back on the ground. Actually, a couple guys had a chance to tackle Chubb on that play and Chubb ended up getting nine yards, but you know, Ryan Kerrigan four years ago, I think makes that play. The, to me, he's just a half a step slower than four years ago, mm-hmm. which is, it's, it's, that's what it is. Uh, I, I think that Ryan's also one of those guys that when he's blocked, he's blocked. If you get on Ryan Kerrigan, you can stay on Ryan. Like he's doesn't have a lot of counter moves at this point. Didn't show it in this game. Um, he was a C. Montez, we got up oh, we're, Montez we're leaving Montez Sweat. Yeah. Montez Sweat was all over the field at times. I mean, all over the field at times. There, there was a span of 10 plays where he was – demonstrably better than anybody else on the field. Yeah, early in the second <laughs> half. <laughs> early second half, I mean, the, the upfield pressure throughout the game, the grounding as a free runner. Like, like I mentioned that grounding. I'm not going to – I'm not giving a massive upgrade because Montez Sweat had a quarterback pressure on an unblocked play. But what I would say was watch Montez Sweat hawk down Baker maybe. Oh, yeah, he's gaining ground. I mean, he when he opens it up, He's rolling. And then he had to sack the very the first down after the grounding play where he beats the tight end and he's up the field and he's got Baker. And like, there was a huge tackle for loss he had on a mm-hmm. third and one. Blows up a double team on a stretch play and he tackles backfield and lost for loss on a third and one, which was a huge play. Got the first play of the game. Go back and watch the first play of the game. If anybody hasn't, hasn't watched this, this probably should have been a personal foul. But it's a screen to the tight end. He knocks the absolute holy hell out of Baker Mayfield. The tight end blocks on Montez, kind of throws him outside. Montez does not feel or see screen, but he knocks the hell out of Baker Mayfield on the first play. I can't believe they didn't call it. Where was that play? I think it's first play of the game. You know, the first, uh, I'm, first I'm, play I'm, of the game. I'm looking at it right now. Um, the the seven yard loss on the pitch out. That's three consecutive drives that he completely disrupted. Now they ended up converting on that third one. Oh yeah, my God, that was definitely a penalty on Sweat. How did they miss that call on the first? It play? almost and after the play, almost uh, you can see him kind of glance back. Like he recognized he hit him late. I love that though. Oh, he did look back. I, th- that I don't know. How does that in this day and age not get flagged? That is that's late and it's a good jolt to Mayfield. A full, you know, second and a half after the ball's out. 
Now, you know, Mayfield pumps and he gets him up in the air. Oh, no, no, that, that's, that's a 15-yard penalty in most games. Not in, not, in 19, you know, not in 1990 football, but in 2020 football, that's, that's, a, that's a 15-yard penalty that just got missed. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> we got away with it, so it's a good grade. Yeah. If he doesn't get away with it, it's a bad grade. Funny how that works, right? Right. I, I don't I don't necessarily treat it as either. Most of the time, when you for me when I unless it's an egregious stupid penalty, which maybe that might have been, um, I usually don't downgrade it. I try to just take play as it as it is. Um, I also don't necessarily unless it's a, like a Kerrigan false start at the end of the game or encroachment or whatever that was. I really don't care that much about some of those either. I just unless it's a consistent deal like when Moses consistently went or. I have a hard time downgrading for some of those things. Um, God, yeah, you're, the pitch play that he made the play on was was massive. Yeah, he, he made five or six plays on the other side of the line of scrimmage in the backfield. He had seven or eight rushes that were impactful rushes. Now he had some stuff that wasn't great either. Some of the counter stuff he got pinned. Some of the, some of the run stuff I think he got a little bit lost, but not like he got smashed and ruined plays. Played it well enough to allow backers a chance to make plays. I thought Montez Sweat was an A in this game. I thought it was the best game that I've seen Montez Sweat play. Agreed. All right, before you get to the linebackers in the secondary, need to take a break here to tell you about Magic Spoon. Magic Spoon's a cereal. Uh, they sent me four boxes. Cocoa, fruity, frosted, blueberry. I loved the blueberry and cocoa. The frosted's okay. Um, I love cereal. I'm a cereal eater. This cereal's healthy. Zero grams of sugar, 11 grams of protein, and only three net grams of carbs in each serving. It tastes great. I mean, you can put it in a bowl with cold milk, or you can just eat it out of the box like I've been doing in the studio every once in a while. It's gluten-free, grain-free, soy-free, low-carb, and GMO-free. Uh, magicspoon.com slash KevinDC to grab a variety pack and try it today. And be sure to use that promo code KevinDC at checkout to get free shipping. It's worth it. If you're a cereal eater, eater and you're looking for something that's healthy but also tastes great, I promise you Magic Spoon tastes great and it's healthy. They're so confident in their product, it's backed with a 100% happiness guarantee. So if you don't like it for any reason, they'll refund your money, no question asked. That's magicspoon.com slash Kevin DC. That's magicspoon.com slash Kevin DC for free shipping. We thank Magic Spoon for sponsoring the podcast. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
before we get to the linebackers, yep. there was one or two times I noticed that I forgot to mention when we talked about this defense that they actually lined up in like a true 5-2 defense. Yeah, I noticed Brought that. Landon Collins in the box. They had Payne, Allen, Ioannidis all on the field. And then they went Sweat and Chase Young on either side. I, I don't know if that changed because Chase Young went out of the game. Now, when Cleveland went into heavy personnel, they brought in an extra backer and they would have five guys on the line of scrimmage in those situations as well. But that's that's their matchup to heavy personnel or two tight ends and a fullback in the game. So, but there were a couple early where it, it was just two tight ends and they went five down. Like, I like that. Well, I, I really like changing your fronts like that because if you if you're capable defensively of doing that week in and week out, it's hard for a team that runs multiple different types of run plays to understand something they haven't practiced that week. I thought they did a good job mixing up some of those fronts with that stuff. Um, let's get to the linebackers. Uh, I'll start with Thomas Davis, who played the least amount of plays. If you, you haven't been watching and you notice 58 was in the game, that is Thomas Davis. Uh, everyone, I think you understand Thomas Davis has been a great linebacker in this league forever. Played for Rivera in Carolina for a long time. He's old. He looked slow. He was not physical in terms of taking on blocks, and he got outrun and outstretched by ball carriers pretty easily. He's not terrible in coverage. You can see he knows what he's doing. He's just a step slow. Thomas Davis was a D in this game on 21 plays. D. Sean Dion Hamilton. Yeah. I thought Sean Dion, Dion Hamilton was going to make a play the first play of the game. That little Y screen we just talked about where Montez had the hit. Sean right. Dion, he's right there. He just – weird. Watch it again. He's getting blocked from the side, and it's like, you're not even really getting blocked. Just go tackle the dude. Um. He played 15 plays. He can't cover. He's average as a run defender. 11 of the snaps were in run defense. Four of them were in pass defense. He's really, he's really just average as a run defender. He's not a guy that can cover right now. Now, one of the plays I'm going to talk about really is not a fair situation. And I, I, I had some of these blitzes throughout the game, but there's, there's a blitz look where he gets stuck widening out against Odell Beckham, who's in the slot. And it's like, what do you want him to do? He's not going to cover a tight ends or backs. He's certainly not going to cover Odell Beckham. Sean Dion Hamilton was a D. Let's get to Bostic. Bostic's, like, Bostic's an interesting player to me as, as I watch him. Like, through early parts of this game, he, and he's part of his defense that I say is getting better. Like, early parts of this game, I, I'm like, gosh, he looks like he's got, it, he's got it together in some of these coverage looks. I think it was a third and five. He ends up coming and making a tackle on the back on the check down. He's right there in coverage, right where he's supposed to be. Like, that's, that's great. You know, it was a third and six. Really good feel initially in this game. But then it, as it progresses, it's like he's displaced a little bit. He's conflicted by route concept versus quarterback guys. He's overrunning routes and, and concerned with where he's going in his zone. I don't know if he truly understands where his help is in some of these situations. Now, I think he's a guy that's going to get better. I, when I see the positives to some of the coverage, I see a guy with pretty good lateral speed. I think he's a guy that can tackle pretty well Definitely. in the open field. Yes, I agree with that. I, so, so there are things. I think he's a damn good blitz guy. To me, I'm, I'm, if I'm going to blitz somebody, I'm going to blitz Boston because especially in your nickel sets, I'm going to blitz my best blitzer who is also probably my weakest pass defender. 
Um, we talked about the third and 11 that they converted with the Browns down three points. Yeah. That, uh, go back and watch that third and 11. I think you'll understand exactly what I'm talking about. Odell looks like he's going to run across the field for just a second, and he's got speed. But Bostick's got help on the other side of the field. Like Bostick shits his pants. It's five steps that direction. And then Odell, Odell sits at the middle of the hole, and you're like, dude, just play the, play the middle of the field. You don't have to run there. So that's, that's one of the interesting things. The other thing with Bostick is I do think he's a good tackler. He can't get off blocks. He struggles to avoid blocks. He struggles to get off blocks. He can't play through blocks. So when you get a lineman coming up to him on the second level, it's 95% of the time that he is now done. So I, I don't think – I think he has an understanding of where the ball is. I think he has an understanding of his gap fit. I think he's a smart player. I think he's a player that plays with speed. I just think he struggles to get off blocks. His block avoid is low. His Madden rating on block avoid is like 42. Really? <laughs> um, yeah, Bostic – on the third and 12, which we've talked about a few times, which, you know, Washington's got all the momentum. They Montez Sweat has wrecked two drives in a row, and he's on the verge of wrecking a third drive in a row because that's the drive uh, where he stops the pitch out, Kareem Hunt, on a seven-yard loss, which set up the third and 12. And on that play, I, I just – are they in – it looks like they're showing more cover three, but it looks like they drop to quarters. And then Bostic gets lost in the middle of the field, which is which helps along with Kerrigan to create the, the hole, you know, before the inside quarter. And I don't know who that is playing that. Might have been uh, – might have been Moreland. Um, what so de- I, I think what that, defense I think are that, they in? I, I, so I've looked at this a bunch of times. It's re- it'd be really strange to be playing four deep, two underneath, and have your two underneath be Kerrigan and Boston. Right. Like that's a lot of open field underneath. So I, it, to me, it, it does look like quarters, but I think it's probably more of a quarters lock where they're going to lock one of the receivers and then double number three coming into the middle of the field. That would be Odell. Okay. So essentially, I think you're trying to, to double him. It's just – and maybe that's why Bostic runs so hard is because they're bracketing him. They're bracketing Odell. And so Bostic knows that if he goes to Crosser, he's got to go with him. I mean, Kerrigan, we, we didn't mention this again when we talked about Kerr, but Kerrigan, but Kerrigan's dropping to nobody there. Yeah. That's just a bad he, he's idea. Just, he's not Kerrigan right there. Isn't dropping to the quarterback's eyes or a receiver. He's just dropping to a bubble. It's a bad idea to put him out there. God, he looks so awkward. Always has. He really is. Like, he's not doing – like, there are two things that you can – that guys normally do in, in zone coverage. And it's it's normally like this almost like B drop where you're going to drop back to whatever your zone is and then B forward to eyes or to, re, or to route combination. He doesn't have any B to it. It's just a kind of an awkward backpedal into space. I've used uh, we used a Madden reference. I'm going to not try to use them as many as possible, but Madden Bo- linebackers when they go to zone just go right into the middle of a bubble and they sit there. What was Bostic's grade? Bostic was a C minus. KPL. KPL. The positives. He's got awesome speed. I mean, he's just, he's got awesome speed. And I think Bostic has good speed too. Early in the game, Baker ends up scrambling out to his left and he ends, I think he gets, it's a gain of two. Bostic is 
running it down, but KPL outruns Bostic. There are more plays than not that KPL is outrunning five guys on the defense when the ball goes sideline to sideline. I said this last week. He's got great red line to red line speed. The red line's an imaginary line in between the numbers and the hash. But I, his ability to, to run, I think, is, is really shown and is really impressive. I think when you drop him in zone coverages, to me, KPL has a pretty good feel, especially when he's dropping out into the flats with width. Again, in this game, I thought he matched really well out into the flats with width. I think when you drop him in the middle hook, it's a little bit tougher for him. Uh, Again, we've talked about receivers matched up on linebackers. This is like four times in this game, but there's a choice route that Landry runs inside hump on in from zone. And he starts out with a ton of widths, so he's already showing you that he's a zone drop linebacker in that situation, and Landry just breaks right in front of him. It's like you gave it away pre-snap, and then you're just not comfortable enough in the middle of the field playing two ways. He's a great one-way zone player, basically, Mm -hmm. and it showed in this game as well. Uh, The touchdown to Chubb, he's just not a man-to-man linebacker from what I've seen in three games. Now, maybe he he is. Maybe they think he is. Maybe he was in Chicago. Maybe he – but – that's a late drive on, on a back. And to me, I think Chubb can do a lot of things. But if I'm KPL and I'm out there in space, is my biggest concern that Chubb's going to run by me? Or is, or is it that I'm going to play a little bit soft and they're going to throw it underneath? Because to me, if I'm KPL, I'm saying to myself on that Chubb touchdown, ain't no way this guy's going to run by me to the sideline. Quarterback's going to drop a dime over my head and this running back's going to come down with it. Like that's last case, in my opinion. So drive on the ball so i i don't see him as a, as a like dynamic man cover guy i right. do see him as a really good one way know your help know your leverage zone defender see him as a guy that's still struggling a little bit in the middle of the field um he makes some plays in the run game he's got some fits in the run game he's a good weak side backer to me um He's not overly big. I don't think he's overly physical. He, you can block him. The Browns did end up blocking him a lot in this game. Made a couple plays scraping off the backside in the run. But, he, you know, I like him more. Even though this isn't going to be a great grade, I still think that there are things that he does that fit this defense really well. Also had a missed tackle on Janovitz late in the game. Like, that's a fullback, bro. Yeah. Um, he was a C in this game. But again, I was very concerned about KPL after the first game because he's exposed in some of those man coverage looks. But really, to me, this is a predominantly zone coverage defense that will intermix a man when they have to intermix a man. And I think KPL fits it. All right. uh, We'll finish up with the secondary right after I tell you about Pepsi. You know, thanks to a lack of commitment, natural uh, athletic ability, most of us aren't Chris Cooley. Uh, We're just sports fans. We're... We create sort of a league of football watchers, and Pepsi appeals to us. They do. Um, And Pepsi right now uh, is doing something for this very different football season. They're ready to get you ready for game day no matter how you consume or watch the season. Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through game day and become a member of the League of Football Watchers. These passionate fans are the real generational talent that Pepsi fuels because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game. It's made for those like me who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching. Go to madeforfootballwatching.com to check out the latest football watching content from Pepsi. All right, Cooley, finish it up with the secondary. Let's get to the secondary. Some good, some bad, some interesting. 
I'm going to start with Landon Collins. I want to start with the fourth play of the game. It's a boot. There's a fly sweep action that ends up almost being like the leak guy. You know, all the McVay, every, the, the tight end leak that on the backside of boot away from where the quarterback's rolling. Who the fuck is Landon covering here? Because that leak guy runs right by him. Now, Montez Sweat has a big pressure in Baker's face. He's got to throw it and get it out early. But if that is a leak, oof. that fly sweep guy's walking oof, in. Oof, oof, Yeah, well, it's a good thing that Baker was booting to the other side or it would have been a touchdown on the fourth play of the game. But it's just interesting to me because Landon seems like the guy that should be the consistent no-mistake guy. It is a new defense, Cooley. You know, we've seen some mix-ups. Uh, it's also interesting because this, to me, looks like a cover three look. And essentially, in a cover three look, the corner on that side would be responsible. But it's almost like cover three, but Landon would be the hook player and is now responsible to lock anything going vertical from underneath late. And a lot of teams do that, where the corner will have to carry anything deep to the middle, and you'll lock your hook player on any, anyone running like rail or wheel up the sideline. So I think Landon realizes it late, but to me, I don't know. I've, I haven't seen anybody run leak this way, so I don't even know if Baker ever intended to throw it. The guy is wide open. I don't understand why we're missing tackles. I, like, I, do, I don't understand the Landon Collins missing tackles. There's an early Chubb run right. on a counterplay where Landon's a free hitter in the hole. He's got to make that tackle for a two-yard gain. He, he doesn't even come close. He barely touches him. Right. Like, I know Chubb he may, is a he's really good, at, good back. Yeah, but he like, makes people miss. He doesn't put big-time moves on anybody to not touch him. On the Chubb touchdown run, yeah, I think into the half-ish, Landon's trying to fall back for a cutoff there, and he's not even close. It's a missed tackle, clearly, but it's it's not even. I don't even don't know if he touches him. Like we, he's missing more tackles than you would expect Landon Collins to to miss, right? That's the thing that you think with Landon Collins is you think the one thing we're sure of is that he's going to tackle anybody. Uh, the touchdown to the Florida Atlantic tight end, 88, who I told you was a pretty good player and yeah, did a pretty good. good job blocking throughout this entire game. Bryant. Bryant that, Landon Collins is in man coverage. Bryant starts in, doesn't really do anything double move-wise and continues to head to the middle of the field, and Landon falls off like he saw something. And then Bryant's got eight steps on him. That's man coverage. Like what? What did you see? Are you thinking too much down there? Are you thinking you know what they're doing? But that was just a crossing route. Uh oh. Like I didn't. No, Landon makes some plays. That, like now, on the positive side of this, like I've I've brought up a couple of the missed tackles, and I brought up a couple throughout in coverage where I'm not 100 percent sure. I, there are also times where I really like Landon coverage. I think he does play sound zone coverage. I think when he comes down in some of the fits. He's got a knack for getting to the ball carrier, and he's got a knack for kind of skinning into a hole and wrapping up. Make some tackles that way, and he did in this game. I mean, there there are some plays for sure. Like I think he had four tackles, and they were all good tackles. 
but he also had two or three missed tackles, and he also had two or three lapses in coverage. And ultimately, Kev, when you're this type of zone team, you can't have lapses in coverage, and you, you can't have your safety coming down missing tackles. I thought Landon was a D in this game. Troy Apke. Yeah. God, he almost got his first pick of the year. Yeah. They throw a run-action pass to Odell Beckham, who is running a post corner post so you're really trying to go to the post first sell it to then sell back out so it looks like a double move but it's a triple move and when you go back out to the corner you're hoping to get the safety to play over the top troy stays right where he needs to be now when that ball goes in the air you watch troy's reaction you're like that's a touchdown like i think he might have got a little bit lucky with the ball being underthrown a bit because he dead undercuts it and to me he dead undercuts that last post move the second the ball's thrown, I, I don't know if he really saw it or not. <laughs> <laughs> like if you, if you go back and watch that a couple times, you're like, either that was an incredible anticipation and angle and jump by Apke, or he got damn lucky. He would tell you that it's an incredible anticipation. He knew where that ball was going to be. But if that ball's high and far into the back of the end zone, is no way on his first step out of his break that he's going to play it. Now, it, initially... Before he starts to break, he's in great position. Okay, he was never out of position. What I'm suggesting is angle the second the ball goes in the air. I would question if that was the choice or if he knew. That said, I'm going to give him credit for it. It's a pass breakup that Odell ended up having to break up from an interception. I mean, Mayfield's just got to lead Beckham to the, the, the left corner of the end zone. And it, Can Troy make that play if he leads that ball out? 10 I don't yards know. Further? I mean, Troy's got he's got recovery speed. We've we've actually seen that, but there's no doubt that he gets a little bit confused and lucky that the ball's underthrown. There, there's no d- doubt about it. Looking at there's this. doubt. I, I mean, I'll raise uh, no, doubt. Well, he's not baiting him into th- to throwing it under to underthrowing no, no, it. No, he's in great position initially. Initially, yeah, but he actually just like you've said, like he doesn't have a great sense for space. Um, angles. I mean, we've seen that in, in, in different spots. Like Beckham's about, if that ball's led to Beckham to the left corner of the end zone, Beckham's going to beat him there. Now Mayfield, you know, is on the move a little bit. Wouldn't have been the easiest of throws. Fair, yeah, fair enough. I mean, uh, the, there's circumstance there. There's pressure. Uh, second that ball throw, that, that he moves on that ball the second it's like before it leaves his hand. Right. I don't know. You can watch. Tell me, I mean, I, I slowed it down a couple times. I'm giving Troy credit. I, I'm giving him a big up on that play. Okay. Look, here's the thing with Apke. You can't miss tackles, and that's glaring, and it's become glaring with him because he's missed a tackle or two or three tackles every week. And on two big chub runs, he misses tackles. Missed a tackle on the touchdown run. I mentioned the Ryan Kerrigan Missed a tackle on the backfield where he had a tackle for lost opportunity. Troy misses another tackle on Chubb on, on that particular play. Right. And they're not like he's wrapping up and not finishing. He's not touching them. So, I don't know. All that said, um, look, the back end of coverage was really, really good this week. Troy's ability this in this game to pass things off and collect things where the corner is going to say, okay, here, the post is going to you, Troy, you take the post and I'm going to fall off into this. Like they were really good. Their communication seemed very good in the back end. 
I didn't feel like Troy was ever out of position on the back end of things. There were times when I saw him drive on things he needed to drive on. I thought as a cover safety in this this week, Troy was almost perfect. Like I didn't see a lot from Apke that I had any concerns with. You miss the tackles and it's glaring, but Apke's a B. That's his best grade yet this year. The corners, let's do the corners really fast. Okay, and it's going to be very easy. Ronald Darby, the first ball given up down the field, really down the field, I think on any of these corners, was in the fourth quarter. Fourth quarter. It was a comeback for 18. That was the first ball really thrown down the field that they got as a big play. Uh, Darby was only thrown out a couple times to me in position most of the game. Made one or two plays in the run game. <laughs> he was a B. You could say he was a B plus. You could say – He's not impacting or non-impacting the game, but he is. He is impacting the game because he's turning down things early. He's making the quarterback get off of his receivers early. Darby was good. Same as Kendall Fuller. I actually really like Kendall Fuller as as a pass guy. Both Darby and Fuller did a good job in quarters and in cover three, playing with enough depth off the receiver, but also with eyes to the quarterback, that when the quarterback came in the direction, they did a pretty good job of locking on. Um Third and six on Hooper. Like, how many times have we seen a tight end beat us on third and six? Right. Hooper's running a corner out. It's a great break on the ball. It's a pass break up. You're like, thank God. The corner finally stopped the tight end. Like, those shouldn't be that big of a deal. But it's nice to see Fuller do that. I thought he looked really good in this game. I thought he ran well. I thought he moved really well throughout the game. The only downgrade I'd have is he is not going to take on an offensive lineman in the open field. And when you pull up four or five of those counter runs late in that game, that offensive lineman would pull out and Kendall Fuller was going to go to the sideline if that lineman wanted to go to the sideline. And after the third one, you're like, could you just dive at his fucking legs and blow him up so we don't have to have this massive gap? And now I don't have to downgrade Landon Collins because he's missing tackles because he's got seven yards of open space in the hole where Fuller's running to the sideline. Makes it tough. It makes it tough. And you're like, look, I get it once. They run a counterbalance play and the offensive lineman's coming at you. And you're like, shit, I didn't see this coming. And this dude's big. Like, this is – here comes Joel Batonio. Like, he's going to knock my head off. Joel Batonio? Batonio. Oh, yeah. Batonio. Yeah. Here comes Tell- Teller, 77, ready to kick my ass. Weighs about 140 pounds more than me. I'm just going to kind of make sure he doesn't – like, I'm just like after the third one, you're like – Blow him up. <laughs> just don't chop his knees out. All you got to do is dive at his feet. He's gonna. They're, you're both going to fall down there, and you're going to limit the hole. He was a B plus. Mm, good for him. Moreland wasn't good in this game. Okay, Moreland didn't play a lot of plays. I don't think he's got a great feel for underneath coverage. Okay, like his zone underneath coverage, he's seen way too much. The fourth and six that the Browns ended up converting, Moreland's dropping to like 14 yards as an underneath zone defender. It, they're not going to throw it behind you. Right. Oh, did I grade Fuller? Yeah, Fuller was a B plus. Jimmy Moreland was a D. He didn't play a lot of games. Uh, Cameron Curl. I I love Cameron Curl. Yeah. You said okay, th- there's a couple of plays. Like, I'm still in question with Curl in some of his past defense. There's a boot where he gets out leverage. It's man-to-man. He gets sucked in a little bit. The tight end gets out behind him. Whatever. Um, caught in the wash. But still, the recovery on that boot play – early in the game to run that thing down. And it's only a six yard game. He's got speed, man. And curl is a hell of a tackler. He shows up again and again as a box player. When he's coming in as that nickel guy, making tackles like in the a gap in the B gap, there's a toughness to him. There's a fun, like I like to watch this play to him. 
Cameron Curl is a guy to me that played 14 plays. He's played in and around, around that number of plays. Like as of right now, watching Jimmy and underneath coverage and curl, uh, my nickel guy's Cameron curl. I, I thought curl was a B plus. I thought he, I thought he played tough. I think he gives this defense a spark. Well, you know, what's interesting about that is curl and Moreland were the other corners. Moreau did not play a defensive snap in the game. So we were wondering what would happen when Fuller came back. Well, Moreland, you know, stopped getting the primary snaps as the other outside guy and Moreau got benched. Yeah, I don't I wonder what if he was healthy. Was he healthy scratch, you think? No, he played wonder. special teams. He 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 was he was dressed. Yeah. He played a bunch yeah. of special team snaps. Yeah, what? I think that that will change this week. What, him for for uh, Moreland? Yeah, either more curl and less Moreland or more Curl Moreau uh, combo and left Moreland. I would bet you that that you'll see some change that week, unless there's just something else. I look, Jim, and you know this, and I think anybody that's listened to me over the last year knows that Jimmy Moreland's like one of my three favorite guys on this team. Like I, I've been so big on Jimmy Moreland. Like I told you last year, I remember I you last year saying to me, "Do you think Jimmy Moreland will make this team?" And I said, "I, I think he'll start." Yeah, you said that in the spring. Yeah, before training camp, I said, I, I don't think he makes the team. I think he's just starting nickel. Yeah. but he's... There's something to Jimmy where I think he's more comfortable outside. I'm not sure exactly what the fit is for Jimmy here, but like, if you're going to play him as a zone defender, like let him match and press or let him play tight and jam. Like right now, his uh, like plain eyes is not – his drops are off. He's not comfortable where he's sitting in some of the zones. I, it's not every time. I mean, it's but it's enough that you're like, can't happen this much. All right. So that, that's it. I mean, look, ultimately when I look at this defense, the grades aren't that great this week. There, there's not – it's across the board, like a couple Ds, some, a lot of Cs and Bs, and 1A. Yeah, but you, you really – the secondary, you really liked Darby, Fuller, and Apke this week in Curl. I, I really did. I thought and they, I thought they were really good in the secondary. I was afraid of – look, the Browns have Odell Beckham and they have Landry and they have Hooper and they have a dynamic run-action pass game where they can get balls down the field, and they didn't. They didn't get big plays. Right. We, we limited all the big plays. All right, good job. Um, we'll talk Friday and we'll preview – the Baltimore Ravens uh, together. Uh, Everybody have a great day. Back tomorrow with Tommy.